Amen. Please be seated. Good morning and welcome once again. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, if you notice, Pastor Kevin's not been on the stage this morning. And if you'll notice, we got some crazy things going on. They are working diligently uh, with our AV team to try and get everything sort of streamlined for where it will be uh, on one day whenever we, we, we return to something that looks more like normal, when we are in, indoors more often. So they're working diligently to make sure that everything is is playing nicely up here as well as in the back. So we have a number of folks, I'm not sure how many, are worshiping in the gym this morning. So um, uh, if you missed him this morning, he is here and, and trying to help make sure that we get all those things done. A few things that I would like to announce. Let me just, hold on, before we get to that. Y'all, those folks that, that plug in every single week working with our AV team, uh, our, our musicians that, that uh, don't know for sure on Sunday mornings when they wake up if they're going to be indoors or outdoors. They just kind of show up and figure out where we've got them stuck. Uh, Y'all, if you see them today from a socially distanced angle, tell them they're doing a good job. Thank them for what they do, uh, really and truly. Some of them are here early, early in the mornings, um, relatively early, like 7.15 early, 7.30, uh, to make sure that we've got everything ready. So uh, y'all thank those folks who are putting in time for that. All right, a few things that we need to announce this morning. This coming Saturday from 6 to 8, we do have a drive through chunk or treat planned. Um, it, uh, listen, those of you who are participating, who have signed up and agreed, we're going to ask you to put a mask on and wear gloves so that we love our neighbors well, regardless of how you might feel about this. We want to make sure that we respect those folks who show up. And so that's how we will give candy in through windows of vehicles as they come up. There is no rain plan. We don't have a rain plan, so if right now they're calling for good weather, but if it were to rain, then I'll just eat all that candy next week, okay? And some of y'all can come help, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, our tailgate fellowship is 99.9% .9 sure canceled this evening. The only way that it would potentially happen is if it doesn't rain another drop between now and then. Even still, that field is going to probably be too wet for us to consider doing anything. It, it slopes, slopes down and gets low over there. So uh, that breaks my heart. It I, I love it. So I, I, I hate that we won't be doing that. Um, uh, do mark your calendar. We will be doing a Thanksgiving fellowship this year on the 15th, I believe is that date. So you'll, you'll see that in your newsletter. Uh, we've uh, um, reserved a tent so that we'll be able to be outdoors uh, and indoors. For those of you that, that, you know, the cold may get to you or whatever, we'll have some seating indoors. We're not sure how all that's going to happen, but it's going to happen one way or the other. We're going to work diligently to get that done. So mark your calendars for that. And then if you notice, there's a Christmas tree behind me. And that's not just because I love Christmas so much, though I do. Um, many of you know we, we begin our Christmas decorating in our home intentionally before Halloween because Halloween is a waste of a good holiday. Um, but uh, uh, that's not why. It's because we've begun our Operation Christmas Child shoebox collection. And so this tree is covered with little toys and uh, doodads and trinkets that might be packed into a shoebox at some point. So if you've not already collected the shoeboxes that you could fill and, uh, and give so that we can send those off with Operation Christmas Child and the gospel can go forth, uh, please know uh, that you can pick those up. They are on the table at the back, correct? They're on the table. They're, they're here and they're, they're kind of all around. So any door you go out, you'll be able to run across one to grab some. And then finally, and I, I don't, this, an email came out about this this week, uh, but let me just make reference to it. Our, our church traditionally does a really good job with prisoner packets. Now, uh, some of our folks have ministry inside the prisons, and uh, for those of you that have that ministry, you know what a blessing these prisoner packets are. It costs about $7 to fill a prisoner packet with uh, a bar of soap, some candy, um, uh, traditionally a, a, some paper and, and a pen. There's not a whole lot that goes into that, 
But for some prisoners across our state, that's the only gift that they will receive. Uh, we've not really, we've not hit our goal yet this year. We normally collect about 100. We've collected about 20. So um, uh, if you have questions about that, Miss Grace Holden would be happy to answer that. You can call the church office. We can help you with that. Uh, there was an email that went out this week that had instructions. If for some reason you say, I'd like to do that, but I just, I don't, I don't, I can't get out and fill a bag or whatever it might be, you can write a check for $7 to our church or for $14 or $28 or whatever it would be, as long as it is an increment of seven. And uh, we are a multiple of seven, I should say. And um, we've got some, uh, some folks that will go and actually do the shopping and fill those bags for you. So uh, please just make, refer- make note of those things in your mind. All right, having said all of that, Thank you so much for being here. It is, uh, uh, it is fun for me to see that even in the midst of our pandemic worship, we continue to have visitors show up, and that is a pretty cool thing. So uh, for those of you especially who are guests with us this morning, Pastor Adam mentioned it, but I would encourage you to please do us the favor of going online to our website, malvernhill.org connect, and fill out that connection card so that we'll have a record of your visit, and we can just uh, let you know some more about us. And if you'd like to share with us about yourself, you're able to do that through that card. Having said all those things, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that this word, we trust it is true and alive and active. So Father God, I pray that it would be as powerful among us as you intend for it to be. That Lord God, you would change us, mold us, make us, work in and through us. And Lord God, above all else today, we pray that you'd be glorified. And Father, we trust that you will be glorified as you show us, God, how it is that we may represent you better to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This morning, I want to speak to you about a 21st century apologetic, a 21st century apologetic. Now, you will remember that in, in, in Christian parlance, when we speak of apologetics, we're speaking of a defense of the faith that, com- faith that comes from a Greek word, the Greek word apologia, which means defense. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about how it is that we can live as followers of Jesus in the 21st century and make a ready defense of the faith that has been delivered to us once for all, of the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, I ask you, how can you show Christ to the world in 2020? How can we stand for Christ today? I'm going to begin by saying that you're not standing for Jesus by casting a vote. Neither Donald Trump nor Joe Biden will save our country. Jesus alone can save. And I say that because I've been inundated with emails from people urging me to preach a sermon on voting and to preach a sermon on politics and to put out to all of you all of these voting uh, information. And I want to say that as the church, we've allowed the political machine to co-opt 
the kingdom of God. And if you can't say amen to that, you should say ouch. Because if it hurts too much, then you've sold out. We've allowed the political machine to co-opt our religion increasingly. Evangelical is a cultural marker rather than a statement about what I believe in the Bible. If we were to ask what an evangelical is, most people on the street and many people in our pews would speak more politically than biblically. An evangelical is a conservative who believes in the Bible and the Second Amendment. Folks, the term evangelical has nothing to do with the Constitution of the United States of America. It has nothing to do with the, politi- the political realities of our country. When we speak of being an evangelical, what that says is that we believe that God's Word is true from Genesis to Revelation and that wrapped up in that Word is the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ who alone can save. We believe that there is a necessary proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ because all are born in their sin and are in desperate need of redemption through the shed blood and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, many people in our culture view us not as people who love Jesus, love others, and want to change the world, but as flag-waving, gun-loving political zealots. I can be all of those things if it weren't for the fact that this sermon is going to be broadcast on YouTube and I figured we'd have a lot of visitors. I had a really good illustration that involved a gun this morning, but I decided it was not a good idea. Right? I'm with you on some of those things. I get it. But folks, when we look at our world and especially our country, I believe that nothing, nothing, nothing matters more than Jesus. What our world needs is not a president, but a Savior. And what the world needs from us is to show them Christ. But how? How in our divided age can we show Christ to the world. I believe that right here in Hebrews chapter 13, we get an incredible picture of what it would look like for us to show Jesus to a world that's not always ready to listen, not always ready to hear, and not always ready to see. The first thing this morning is that you should love your church. Now that's, that just fits real well, doesn't it, for the preacher to say. You should love your church. Now, if you think I'm crazy, let me just read. Let brotherly love continue. A 21st century apologetic begins with a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And I say specifically for your church because you need to be able to love those people that are close to you. It's easy to talk about how much you love somebody on the internet, right? Oh, I love that preacher. He's so good. You don't even know who he is. Do you love the people that sit in the pew beside you? That sit on the other side of the sanctuary that are in your life group? Before we can ever convince the world that Christianity is good for the world, we must show the world that it has been good for us. The world looks, they see, they hear, they know. Why would anyone want to be a part of something toxic? The first way we will testify to the goodness of Christianity is by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ in our own church. It's that simple. It really is. That's it. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by what? By the way that you vote, right? No! The world will know that you're my disciples by what you post on Instagram. No! They're not going to know that you love Jesus because you put a picture of your Bible and your cup of coffee with a fancy little saying at the bottom. All they know is that you're really good. With Instagram, I don't know how y'all even do that. 
Aubrey takes pictures with my phone, and they, they have all these things that happen, and it makes absolutely no sense to me. I can't even make, like, I tried to take a picture of my dog a while back. It took me 37 minutes to get him to just be still. Aubrey takes, like, three shots, and it's, it's all highlighted, and it sparkles. And I don't even, I don't understand it. I'm political, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm technologically illiterate when it comes to those things. But, folks, I want you to know that even in our Instagram, Facebook, social media age, people more than seeing your update need to see, need to hear, need to know that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Folks, this is one of the unique marks of the early church. So strange was brotherly love among the believers in the local church that they were made fun of for it. This idea was outside the norm in the first century and into the second century. A person was expected to love his family and to care for his family, but people didn't treat outsiders as family. Others throughout the Roman Empire noticed that Christians treated each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, and this really stood out. And so we've got a... a, 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 I'm going to say this word. It's written, and I said it three times, but I can't do it. A satirist. I did it. A, A person who writes satire. Like the Babylon Bee, by the way. Don't ever post that as if it was news, okay? It's not. It's meant to be funny. So we had like the second century version of the Onion or the Babylon Bee, and this guy was named Lucian. And this guy, Lucian, actually made fun of Christians because they referred to each other as brother or sister. He said any educated person in that day would have thought it absolutely ludicrous that someone outside of their immediate family should be loved as brother or sister. Here in the South, we kind of get that, right? Here in the South where family's everything, it's still considered ludicrous when you prioritize your church commitment or your church family to the same level and status as your blood relatives. Yet, that is what Christ has commanded. When we speak of one another as brother or sister, that's not supposed to just be Christianese. You understand? That that carries with it an understanding, a connotation. That I am committed to you, I'm attached to you, I'm accountable to you, I'm responsible to you, and you to me. Do we want to testify to the goodness of Jesus to the world in the 21st century? Folks, we will do it when we love one another and we love one another well in word and in deed. When's the last time you were willing to be inconvenienced for your brother or sister in Christ? See, see, the truth of the matter is that for, for most people, many people, I shouldn't say most, for many people, loving others doesn't have anything to do with your pocketbook. It's, it's about whether or not you were willing to be inconvenienced. Isn't it? When's the last time that you were inconvenienced for your church or for a member of your church or for a fellow believer in Jesus Christ? When's the last time that you got up early to do something for them? Or you lost sleep to do something for them? Or you lost other things? You missed out on something. Love one another. Second thing we're going to do if we're going to be advocates for Christianity, if we're going to show Christianity to the world in the 21st century, is we're going to show hospitality. The Bible says in verse, verse 2, rather, do not, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now we... We sometimes get caught up in that for thereby some of entertain angels unawares, okay? And we're going to take this at Old Testament references. So 
It doesn't mean it couldn't happen at other times, but we're going to look back at the Old Testament. So we have those in the Old Testament. Gideon did that. We, we saw this with, with Abraham and Sarah, where they, they entertained angels unaware. So that's the idea, okay? Let's not get caught up right there, okay? We, we don't want to dig. I, I want to focus on the command to us, right? And the command to us is that we not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, in, in the first century when this was written, hospitality was a sense or an idea of welcoming strangers into your home because they didn't have anywhere else to go. There was no such thing as a, as a motel, and, and the few inns that did exist were shady, sketchy places. Uh, and, and really, um, the Christian community at that time was incredibly poor, so there wouldn't have even been money oftentimes for folks to be in those places. So the idea of hospitality was, I meet you, uh, you have a need, you need a place to sleep, you need to be fed, so my home is open, you come, we'll give you a bed or a place to sleep. We'll feed you, we'll do whatever we need to do for you, and then we'll send you on your way. So that was the idea of hospitality. Now, um, in, in our world today, that idea of hospitality is, is a little bit different, a little bit larger. Now, it might still look the same way at times, but hospitality is an attitude before it's an action. Hospitality is an attitude before it's an action. It's an attitude that says, what's mine is open to be used by God to bless others. Hospitality is an attitude that says it all belongs to Jesus anyway. Hospitality, as I've said before, is not the same thing as party hosting. Hospitality is not always the same thing as hosting. Because if you're going to host people in your home, right, things are going to generally be just so. There's going to be a certain meal that's cooked. There's going to be uh, a certain cleanliness that is achieved. There's going to be a certain threat level towards the children if they mess up the cleanliness. Y'all all understand, right? The hosting is great. We, we, we love it in our home, but that's not the same thing as hospitality. Hospitality is that open back door that says, there is laundry on the couch, but if you can deal with it, come on in. Hospitality is, we didn't cook a turkey, but we got turkey sandwiches, and we've got enough bread, and if you want a sandwich, pull up a chair, you're welcome to eat with us. Hospitality is, sure, what's two more kids around the table? This is, and it's an idea before it's anything else. It's an attitude, because we can show hospitality even outside of our homes, can't we? Hospitality is, you can ride with me if you need to. Hospitality is let me bless you, let me care for you right where you are. I would even go so far as to argue that sometimes hospitality is as simple as holding the door for somebody and speaking kindly to somebody. Now that's, that's like the, the easy way out on hospitality, right? We shouldn't stop there. But folks, as followers of Jesus Christ, the attitude of hospitality, especially in our angry, uneasy, and divided world, the attitude of hospitality right now is an attitude of love and care towards others and especially strangers and those people outside of the church. There's a difference with the way that we are to love those within the church and love those outside the church. So we, we, we want to acknowledge that. But just because a person's not inside the church, I, I almost want to, if I jump up and down, will y'all catch that on camera? I almost want to, but I'm not. If someone, if someone is not inside the church, they are not your enemy. If someone is not a Christian, they are not your enemy. If someone is in a different political party, they are not your enemy. And if they are separated from Jesus Christ, 
They are objects of God's love who need to be shown the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, when we are known more for our politics than for our love, then we have an opportunity. Why? Because we're so busy yelling at people that they can't hear us when we say that Jesus loves them. And an attitude, an, 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 um, a default position of hospitality gives us the opportunity to love on people in the name of Jesus. When's the last time that you took an opportunity just to Speak to somebody that you didn't have to speak to. I wear my mask all over the place. I don't wear it when I'm up here preaching, but you know, I, I hate it and for all the reasons that y'all hate them. Um, but you know what I hate so much is I can't smile at people, right? You put it on and you're like, y'all don't even know I'm smiling. So I miss that because I, I do believe that one of the ways that we can really show the world some things is just by smiling at somebody. But you know, I've, I've found that people around me that I encounter in my everyday life are not used to having somebody ask them how their day is. It blows my mind. I go through the checkout counter. I take my own bags because they give me a nickel per bag if I take my own. Do y'all know that? It's awesome. doesn't matter. I take my own bags because I'm weird. And I go through the checkout counter and I say, Hey, how's your day today? They always look at me with a shocked look. Like, do you care? Yeah. How's your day? And sometimes they go, it's pretty good. Sometimes they're honest and they go, you know what? It's not real good today. You know what? Can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do for you? I'm sorry. Folks, that's an attitude of hospitality. Even when somebody's not standing at my front door. I'm inviting them into my life. And I'm stepping into theirs. And for just a brief moment, I have an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus. Do you have an attitude of hospitality? Do you show your love of Christ by loving others? Do other people see you as open? Do people feel comfortable approaching you? Do you you regularly open your home? Angela and I got a call from... Somebody uh, several years several years ago right now, she, we didn't have any children. It was one of those rare nights. The kids were gone. We had been out. We were going to go home and have a quiet night. It was going to be amazing. And Angela got a call from a friend of ours that said, Are y'all at home? No, we're not. We're on our way home. What's up? Can I just stop by? I got something going on. I looked at her and said, you said no, right? <laughs> she said, no, I didn't say no. She said, come on. And there we sat around our kitchen table. Because that person had a need. That person needed our home and they needed our presence. And it inconvenienced me. And it inconvenienced Angela. But you know what? It was worth every single minute. We show hospitality to others when we love people in the name of Jesus Christ. People get to know more what we're for than what we're against. Do people know more what you're for than what you're against? Do they know that? Do they know that you're for Jesus and you're for love? 
How do you show your love for Christ? By loving others. Do you? If you don't, get started today. We're going to change the world a little bit at a time if we will show hospitality. Third, this morning, if we are going to testify for Christ, if we're going to show Christ the world in 2020 and into 2021, because we can see it around the corner, we need to be committed to biblical morality. Committed to biblical morality. Now, this passage speaks specifically about marriage. Let the marriage bed be held uh, in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So we speak mostly about marriage, and this passage of Scripture speaks specifically to that because it's not new. Do you understand that for 2,000 years, the biblical institution of marriage has been under attack? The idea that biblical marriage would be in the majority is a relatively new thing. We live according, but marriage isn't the only thing that we got to be committed to. We must be committed to biblical morality. Biblical morality. When we live according to the Bible standards of morality, we show the world that we don't only claim to be followers of Christ. You ready for this? We actually believe what the Bible says, and we put it into practice. Again, one of the things that troubles me so much is that evangelical has become a voting block rather than a biblical marker. Folks, if you claim to be evangelical because of the way that you vote, but you don't live your life according to a biblical morality, you are not an evangelical. You are just a political zealot. Now that's okay. If politics is the idol that you want to bow down to, but it's not okay if Jesus is the Christ. We live according to the Bible's standards of morality. We show the world that we don't only claim to be followers of Christ. We believe it and we act like it. Listen, if you claim to believe God's word, but you lie, cheat, and steal, do you really believe God's word? I mean, you just put it that way, right? In our, in our culture, I think one of the, the biggest... Um, or illustrations we have is, is Chick-fil-A. And, you know, we don't know what Chick-fil-A will be for the next 20 years, but for, for their history, they've stood fast in, 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 in a belief and a practice that the Sabbath mattered. And as a result, they're closed on Sundays, right? They believe in the biblical mandate of Sabbath and have kept it. Do you? Do you believe in the biblical mandate of Sabbath? Are you willing to be To cost yourself money because you believe what God's word says about the need and the importance of rest. Worked with a guy on a podcast about that this week and I was just really convicted about that. How important rest is. You know, there's little that is more countercultural in our world today than the art and the practice of Sabbath keeping. Because we live in a world that does not promote it. As a matter of fact, we live in a, and even in a Christian world, right? Even in the church. We're taking a day off is looked at askance. That shouldn't be the case. Because the Bible advocates for the keeping of the Sabbath. One of the things that we can be countercultural about, one of the ways that we can, we can uh, advocate for Christ is by practicing regular rest. What are the other things? Obviously clinging to a, a, a sexual moral ethic. But how about the way that we use our words? Again, just because politics is on the horizon, it troubles me so much that we have, we as believers have basically blessed a political culture that is filled with the most vile of rhetoric. 
on both sides, right? That as believers in Jesus, we've not stood up and said, where is their love for neighbor in this? As believers in Jesus, we've not demanded that those people who represent us politically would be held to a higher moral standard. For goodness sakes, we've not held ourselves to a higher moral standard. We can look at the things that we watch on TV, the games that we play, the websites that we visit. Do you, do you hold to a higher moral standard? Do you cling to a biblical ethic? Folks, if you don't, you're not defending Christ to the world. Instead, you're bowing down and worshiping with the world. Commit to a biblical morality. Why would anybody want Jesus if Jesus hadn't changed your life? Commit to biblical morality. Testify to God's goodness and to your belief in the goodness of God's word. And then finally this morning, if you're going to be able to show Christ to the world this year, be content in Christ. You know, there's a difference between apologetics and polemics. Polemics is the practice of arguing against an opposing worldview. So um, if we were to have a debate on this stage, and let's just say that, uh, that, a, that a Muslim um, man came up here, and that man and I got into a debate, some of that debate would be polemical. And my goal would be to show uh, the failures of his Islamic worldview, perhaps, or, or maybe even to attack his understanding or his belief in the Koran, in an attack not in a physical sense, obviously, but to, to, to verbally uh, attack and argue against that. That's polemics, okay? Apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith. They're not the same thing. Polemics has a place in public debate. Polemics has very little place in evangelism. Because very few people have ever come to Jesus because they lost an argument. You understand? Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't have a place, but its, it's place is small. There's a reason that we talk a lot about apologetics and a little bit about polemics. Because before you need to worry about attacking the worldview of another, you need to make sure that you cling to Jesus and that you can defend that position against all attackers. However, in our culture of rage and division... We are more attuned to attacking opposing viewpoints than presenting a compelling vision for why our worldview is right. As Christians, we need to show the world that Christ is better than the other options, that Christ is superior, superior to idols. Why then does the Bible speak so much, for instance, about the dangers of the love of money? Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Why does the Bible talk about the dangers of money? Because money is a dangerous idol. And when we bow down before it, we show that we are trusting in our possessions or our material goods to save us rather than Christ. It's only when we find contentment in what the world has given us that we can find ourselves being ultimately 100% content in Jesus Rather than trusting in our possessions or material goods, we've got to be trusting in Jesus. I began this morning with a conversation about politics. The danger of politics is that politics may become our new religion in this country. As a matter of fact, I, I would go so far as to say it's not a danger of becoming. It's, it's the reality of is. This is the reason that we are so divided today. We've lost an understanding, an idea of transcendence. 
And when our worldviews are in this world and they are predominantly materialistic, then the belief is that the only way for the world to change or shift is for there to be a shift in the material understanding or makeup of the world. And that that is that it must come from within. Folks, that is opposed to a biblical worldview that says that the world is made up of more than what we can see, that there is a transcendent understanding of a God that exists outside of this world. And a biblical worldview says it can't be fixed from within, it must be fixed from without. We need more than this world has to offer. We need Jesus. Many believe that the only real hope for our country is in the president who's elected or the judge who's confirmed, and all those things are important. And they all represent competing visions for what the, the, the good and the prospering of our country or of a culture should be. But nothing matters more than Jesus. Politics, like money and possessions, can become an idol. You say, Craig, I don't think that's true. we got to save this country. What is an idol? An idol is anything other than Jesus, in which we place our trust for salvation. An idol is anything other than Jesus in which we place our trust for salvation. See, when I talk about idols, most of you think about some statue that people are going to bow down and worship. But the most seductive idols aren't statues at all. They're ideologies and worldviews. And they can claim even those who claim to be followers of Jesus. As we become convinced of our need to trust in the schemes of the world, Trump can't save you, Biden can't save you, the Supreme Court won't take anyone to heaven. Does that mean these things aren't important? No, but they are not of supreme importance. And folks, if those are the places where we live, then we are going to be hard-pressed. We're going to be hard-pressed to evangelize our world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus matters most, and his followers are called to be content in Christ. Polemics is an attack, and apologetics is a defense. And I would argue that in our age of rage and division, contentment will be one of our strongest apologetics. When we're faced with the question of how we can be content when the world seems in utter turmoil, how we can be still and know that He is God, we must answer because He is our God. He has shown Himself faithful, and He is enough. When the world rages, and you respond with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, You might not look like a good politician, but you may very well look like a follower of Jesus Christ. All of the things that characterize the toxic political discourse of our country are what Paul refers to as the fruit of the flesh. And all of those weaker things, as the world would say, that characterize the life of Christ are what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And it is by living within that fruit and displaying it to the world around us that we will show that Jesus matters most. How can you show the world Christ in 2020? 
I, I don't think it's quite as hard, and that's the concern I have. I've been preaching now for, what, an hour and a half, it seems like. I don't know. I, I think my concern is that in this long sermon, that you might walk away going, it's so confusing, and it's so challenging. How can you show the world Christ in 2020? I, I would argue that the Christian way is so countercultural in 2020 that it's actually easier than we sometimes give credit for. Live for Jesus, period. Do not be co-opted by something else, whatever that something might be. Live for Christ. Live like Jesus. Look like Jesus. Trust that the Bible is true. And that it is a guide for life. Love your church. Even those in your church who will vote different than you. Show hospitality in attitude and in deed. Commit to biblical morality. All of it. Heaven forbid the church that screams and jumps up and down about biblical marriage as it relates to homosexuality, but forgets that divorce is a sin before the Lord and that adultery is a sin. Because all of that is in God's Word. Heaven forbid we ever find ourselves screaming about biblical marital morality while we neglect to honor our father and our mother. Heaven forbid that we speak about biblical morality as it relates to marriage while we gossip or we slander or we tear others down or while we cling to our anger. We've got to live and be committed to biblical morality. And then finally, be content. Be content in Christ. Because He is enough. He is enough. I quote Psalm 46.10 so often that you guys may at some point get tired of it, but I just think it's so important. That there in Psalm 46.10, when the writer of that psalm says, Be still and know that I am God. That psalm was written, remember, not over a peaceful pond or at sunrise as the frost melted from the pine trees. That was a psalm written in a time of war and discord. And in the midst of upheaval, the psalmist says, Be still and know. And folks, when we are still and know, when we practice biblical contentment, the world will take notice. Because we don't look like the world at all. So what do we do with that? How can you show Christ to the world? This morning, we're going to sing. And when we gather and we sing, we're going to show Christ to the world in one way by just raising our voices. But folks, the reality is that for some of you, if I have preach this well, and even if I hadn't, and the Holy Spirit of God was gracious enough to visit with us, some of you this morning are convicted by the reality that you've lived a life that's been co-opted by the things of the world rather than one that's committed to Christ. That you have been an evangelical 
for something. In other words, a person that desired to see conversion, but perhaps it wasn't though a person that desired to see people converted to Christ. Maybe to your own ideology or worldview. Or perhaps you just say, you know what? I've been wrapped up in myself and everything else. And the whole world around me might know a lot of things I believe, but they have no idea that Jesus matters most. This morning, if you would love, if you'd like to speak with me, I'd be happy to speak with you, pray with you. Pastor Adam is in the gym. If you're in the gym and you need somebody to pray with, he's there and he'd be happy to do that. We also have this altar open if you'd like to come and pray. However it is the Lord may be working in your life. I want you to know that it's not too late for you to make a change. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, maybe you don't even know exactly what that means. Can I just tell you that it means a lot more than Fox News or CNN would ever say? It's the most revolutionary experience of your life. Because Jesus died to set you free from your sin. And to secure for you an eternal home with Him in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord God, I'm grateful for your love and your grace. I pray that you'd be at work among us. God, help us to be people who are known, first and foremost, by our love for Jesus. That all the cares and worries of the world might pass away. But Lord God, our trust and faith and confidence in Christ would reign supreme. Move among us as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing. If you'd like to pray, this altar will be open. If I can pray with you, if Adam can pray with you in the back, we'd be happy to do so. Join with us this morning.